This is Slashers, a horror movie podcast brought to you by two dudes who have no credentials, but high hopes of making your day by talking about horror movies that are long in the rear view. My name is Jake, and I am joined by my co-host, colleague, and cohort, Brian. Brian, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond, which is what I've decided to call our fan base. Hey, how's it going, guys? So, Brian, I had a question for you. I've already given away your first name. You've given away my first name. Are we going to go the Avenged Sevenfold route and do, like, stage names for the last name? Or are we just going to move on? first name basis because we're so cordial with our fans first name come on yeah i don't know man i feel like you totally like to put me on the spot with this kind of stuff and uh, it's not something that i've completely thought over so uh i'm gonna go ahead and just go with uh your name is jake and my name is brian all right i like it keeping it simple (laughs) so this is a horror movie podcast like i discussed brian and myself uh, are two guys who love horror movies the Uh, general construct of the show is loosely based around our love of hockey as well, which is kind of weird. So what we're going to be going through, uh, if you listen to our last, our pilot episode and our first episode, we didn't have a whole lot of segments that were official. We just went through and kind of blurbed. I'm going to try and break up the show now into little statistics, uh, sections, whatnot. If you have any feedback as far as a tone that we're using, the words that we're using, I'd love to hear it. I want to give you guys content that you enjoy. Um, you know, The fact is, Brian and I could be talking about this over text message or cell phone or just in person. Uh, but we want to create something that's kind of a time capsule that we can look back on, that our friends can look back on, that you, our fans who become our friends, could look back on. So we want to make sure that what we're giving you is the best. So if you hate every segment that we do, let us know at slasherspod at gmail.com, uh, at slasherspod at Twitter, at slasherspod on IG, at slasherspod pretty much anywhere, uh, because I went a little buck wild and logged up for things that we don't even use, bruh. I was going to say, do we have a MySpace? We might. Dude, I think I might make one. (laughs) Do they even have MySpace anymore? They do. I actually still have a band profile on there, and I've still gone back to, like, take pictures to send to my old bandmates every so often and be like, hey, remember when we were this pathetic? (laughs) There you go, man. We can start coding our old MySpace page with, like, a bunch of slashers pod shit. Hell yeah. It'd be pretty neat. (laughs) Here's the great thing. You know, a lot of people would start a podcast and be very worried about being ignored, not being listened to. Bro, I have over 10 years of experience of people placating me to my face and being like, oh, I love your project, never listening to it. (laughs) Here's the thing. This is a call to arms to anybody who I know. If you listen to this show and you come up to me in person and you say the password nipple butter, I will Venmo you a dollar. If you can prove to me you listen to this show, we're now going to be what? Four minutes in, if you can yeah. do that, I will just Venmo f- you a dollar. Just four minutes, guys. Nipple butter. Just do it. And, uh, I mean, fuck, Jake will give you a dollar. I mean, I will give you a dollar. I will double down. I will double down this bitch. That's two dollars, potentially. And, uh, Brian, that's, should we put, like, like, a time limit on this? Because I feel like if we're in our 40s and somebody comes up to us and says nipple butter, I don't really <laughs> want to be shelling out, dog. Yeah, you know what? We got to do within, I'd say, at least uh, the first, our first year. Okay. You know what I mean? So 2019. And it, and also, one per customer. 
And in fact, one per household. I don't trust you fuckers. So it's funny. I feel like we need like a disclaimer. <laughs> I'll go through in the product notes. I'll make sure to do everything and give the, the terms and conditions to call to arms. So anyway, Brian, uh, what movie are we talking about this week? We're uh, talking about a nice classic uh, American werewolf in London. Not to be uh, confused with the god-awful one they made uh, very similar, similarly. Uh, what is the what is the name of the other one? An American Awful. Werewolf in Paris. That's it. That's right. No, definitely not that one. Paris sucks as bad as Periscope sucks. Like you have Twitter, which is American Werewolf in London, and then Periscope, which is American Werewolf in Paris. Uh, that's a real bad constructor. I'm sorry, uh, but it's, it's. I'm like, wait. I just hate. Huh? I hate American Werewolf in Paris so much. But I also like just in going back through the synopsis to be able to say something about it. I, I angered myself. That tells you how bad it was. <laughs> yeah. I remember when it came out, and I was like, oh, this is a, this seems intriguing. I got about halfway through and simply just shut it off. Dude, the werewolves look... Okay, if memory serves correct, the werewolves in that look like the way that the Saiyan monkeys look in Dragon Ball. I, I kid you not. I'm like, that is way too simian to be a canine. Um, yeah, you know what? I feel like the, I I run across that a lot when it comes to these werewolf movies. I don't know what it is, but it seems like there's um, a strange kind of uh, wall in between between uh, the wolf and the man, and people create like joining the two together, right? Because they're like, okay, here's a man, here's a wolf. Okay, we're gonna mix them together, and then all of a sudden we got this mutated fucking monkey thing. Yeah, I think that's huge because if you take a human and you cover them in hair, they're still, I mean, we are apes. So it kind of makes sense. That's why I think like the really, you know, well-executed werewolves, they have the hinged leg that goes backwards. They stalk in a different way. I mean, in this case, the American Werewolf in London and American Werewolf in London, booyah, corrected myself, nerds, (laughs) save it. Um, You know, he's on all fours, which makes it even further removed from being a person. But I have definitely seen somewhere I'm like, oh, it's just Sasquatch. It's Sasquatch right, with sharper exactly, teeth. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it, you know, to prove your point, um, you know, the, the elongated limbs definitely are like a, a huge thing that I feel like uh, <clears throat> a lot of directors or a lot of people in, uh, you know, special effects, they tend to kind of gloss over. They don't really um, add to it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think it's also an actor's job. You know, even if you're doing mocap, you got guys like Andy Serkis who are setting the bar pretty freaking high nowadays for your mocap work. Just to lumber around isn't good enough. Like, what do dogs, how do they move? They circle around. There's certain gestures. Um, you know, I think this movie's fine. It kind of gets a pass because it's you know clearly a lot of puppetry. But we'll get into that as we go further down the line. Um, right, right. Now it's time for a segment we call Stabtistics. It's like statistics, but <laughs> you stab because it's a horror podcast. In case you guys didn't get it. Thank you. I explained it just for you guys. Not that I'm doubting your intelligence, but you are listening to this show. So (laughs) you're part of the mutant goons from beyond. There we go. So this movie came out August 21st, 1981, the day after my birthday, before I was born. So that works out just fine. Uh, On a budget of $5.8 million, made $12,016,727 opening weekend. Domestically ended up making 31 million, almost 32, and then globally 62 million. 
So this is one of those movies where they involved the European Union and internationally did really well. It's kind of like that movie The Meg where they're like, hey, China, let me suck your dick off. And that movie did gangbusters worldwide. Right, right. Oh, I mean, it's one of those things that I feel like, especially if you include the name London, you know, like you include that in the name of the movie, it's going to be a huge hit overseas, right? It just seems like it's going to make sense. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, as far as involving it, and truthfully and accurately, I mean, you actually had British actors, some of very solid repute. Um, that it helps ingratiate yourself to your audience. Uh, in terms of competition, though, not much going on. Uh, the same year, or the same month, actually, Condor Man came out. It had its theatrical release. Um, the same week as American Werewolf, <laughs> there was First Monday in October, Heartland, and Honky Tonk Freeway. Brian, ask me which of those movies I've seen. Honky Tonk Freeway. Fuck no. I've seen none of those movies. It was a trick question. I thought that you would think better of me. I am hurt. I am wounded that as my best friend well, you would know this. To be fair, I thought maybe Sierra would have recommended it. So, <laughs> no, um, I will say that people must have been torn between this movie and Heavy Metal, which came out August 7th, 81, which is badass if you haven't seen it. I know it's we're great. not a it's a great movie. A, a tripped out balls to the wall heavy metal and titties cartoon podcast. We're a horror podcast, but highly recommend. So the fact that people, you know, put down their anime porn fetish and went and see, saw a werewolf movie is great because this movie changed the world, my friend. The eighties were owned by the werewolf. Uh, vampires and Frankenstein's can suck off. I didn't say suck it, and I didn't say fuck off. I said <laughs> suck off, which also What's works. It? Um, wasn't uh, other werewolf movies somewhat uh, released around the same time? Oh, yeah. As, uh, yeah, okay. So there's The Howling, which Rick Baker had worked on conceptually because the legend has it that he and John Landis had talked about making an American werewolf in London for eight years. It never happens. And so Rick Baker says, fuck, I'm done. I'm going to start making my movie. Starts making the stuff for The Howling and... John Landis is like, sup, dog, guess who just got Universal to let us make a movie? Like, oh, this is awkward. Um, (laughs) And so he passes The Howling off to his protege, also comes out in 81. Uh, You had Teen Wolf in 85, Company of Wolves in 84. Uh, There's Silver Bullet, uh, which is Stephen King work. I think it's 85. Gary Busey. Yeah, dude. Oh, wow. The Buse. Yeah, I don't think we're going to do that one, even in our worst episodes. I don't. I hope that we never have to scrape the barrel that low. But yeah, maybe we could do like a rapid-fire episode where we just go through seven or eight movies and go, this sucked, good day. <laughs> I, I don't know if I yeah. could be made to say much about that movie. Um, in terms of statistics, I got one more for you. Do you know which Academy Award this movie won? Was it for special effects? It was for best makeup and special effects. Do you yeah. know who won it the year before? I do not. Well, that's correct because it didn't happen. You not really? knowing is indicative because 1981 is the first year that they had this category, and boom, Rick Baker beats his protege, even though they both put out very similar movies. Wow, that's really cool. That's one one of the things that I uh, happen to notice is um, I'm not sure if this is something separate from like the academy awards but i seem to come across uh, something along the lines of like the saturn awards have you have you seen anything like that 
something it's like some sort of like sci-fi or um kind of like special effects awards i feel like um specifically for the um, you know people within the industry uh, at least that's what i came across so yeah apparently they're still going so. strong i'm googling this now that tells you how outside the bubble we are but <laughs> that's dope picked a good planet that's all i know or maybe they picked yeah. a, a roman god who knows but yeah. Yeah, especially, oh, wow, 44th Annual Saturn Awards were in 2018, June 27th, hosted by Jonah Ray. Oh, the guy who does Mystery Science Theater 3000 now. All right, I can nice. dig that. Yeah, so. I, I want to say it's something to do with special effects. I could be wrong, but I think it's kind of cool if it is, you know, specifically for people within the industry and everybody else can just fuck off. Because yeah, well, you know what? Really now we're in the industry, so we need to start following this because in a couple of years... There's going to be a podcast category, and there's going to be a subcategory, and then there's going to be a sub-sub-subcategory. Yeah, true. And it's, it's going to true. be horror-themed podcasts loosely based on hockey, and then it's going to be you and I. But, I mean, if you really think about it, especially um, when you look at, like, the Academy Awards, you're looking at somebody who is, like, the face of the movie poster, right? And you're like, oh, okay, it's um, Brad Pitt. Okay, it's George Clooney. Okay, it's this or that. Well, it's a lot more than that. It's it's people who are doing special effects. It's this or that. There are people that are getting um, acknowledged within the Academy, but um, I feel like for a long time they were just overshadowed. So Yeah, just because you're getting an award doesn't mean that you're – being you know ingratiated to the audience you're just a name in the credits for most people right right and and majority of the time especially i mean i fortunately haven't been to too many of the academy parties <laughs> i feel like uh some of my friends have invited me and uh you know i'm kind of quiet on getting a response back to them uh, i've been one or two but like i'll i'll go to like uh and and pay attention to like you know the oscar for best male uh, performance or best female performance, but everything else for the most part, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm just not really paying attention too much. And I feel like the majority of people probably are doing the same thing. Whereas if you have something where it's everybody within the industry or within that category or subcategory of the industry, um, in the crowd, like everybody appreciates everybody's work, right? Because it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's it's like it's competition, but it's not. Yeah, so. and I think it's classically been the responsibility of fans in anything sci-fi, in anything horror. Horror. Uh, it's our job to show gratitude and love beyond just the pocketbook. You know, we're the ones who have horror conventions. You don't see a Dwayne the Rock Johnson action movie convention. You see a fuck ton of horror conventions and sci-fi conventions. You see fans writing into sci-fi and having people like Rick Baker be a guest host on Face Off, uh, which right, I, right. I can't say. I think my wife has to hear me say at least once a week when we're scrolling through Hulu and Amazon and Netflix, God damn it, I wish that Face Off was still on the air. Um, but that's yeah. the way that we as horror fans and everything you know, well, and, show and, because where they're not going to get mainstream attention, we have to do a lot more work. Right, and I mean that's that's really how um, you look at like fan films that come out, right? And it's like you don't see too many people coming out with fan films of you know like these mainstream movies that are coming Jumanji. out. Jumanji, like, yeah, nobody gives a shit, you know. <laughs> I kind of want to do a Jumanji fan film now though, but I want to do it like horror style, where it's like what actually oh. happens. Oh what fuck the... yeah! I mean, within two seconds, somebody just gets like decimated by a Dead. lion or a, like a tiger, like some fuck like yeah. fucking panther just like tears somebody apart. Dude, those fucking uh, the mosquitoes. Nah, I'm not about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck, dude. That shit was scary as fuck, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, I mean... That crocodile looks yeah, fun it, as shit. 
he and I are going to be homies, but that mosquito, nah. And Which then, is probably uh, weird for the guy from the, with the horror podcast to admit that he's afraid of a giant bug. But <laughs> fuck always, y'all, now, I'm real. I, I always remember uh, the guy. Fuck, it was the dad from uh, Richie Rich. Hell yeah! Remember Richie Rich? Hell yeah! <laughs> Macaulay Culkin, a, son. Yeah, that set man. that kid up for life. That and Home Alone. Yeah, he was uh, he was the hunter in Jumanji, right? I Hell yeah! So. And he's he was the uh, same actor. The uh, what Robert Parrish's dad. So, yeah, that's right. That's right. That, that was some meta movie. shit and saying R. some R. things. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, Robin Williams. Yeah, man. Why'd you have to bring me down like that, Brian? <laughs> it's been a few years. I finally forgot about it. No, it's. Yeah. I think about him all the time. Anytime I hear the word insomnia, which as a father of a nine-month-old, people say insomnia every day. And every time I think of that movie that he that's did. That's a fucking weird movie. Mm, that's so a good. weird movie. Yeah, I, liked, I actually like the one where... Uh, Coincidentally, he commits suicide to chase after his wife in purgatory. Oh That's yeah, a what dreams make crazy come. movie? Well, yeah. she commits suicide, right? Hit. And then yeah. he and then he does in, after the fact. Yeah, of, which is weird to think that his spirit. There's a lot going on in that movie. That movie's yeah. dark. Yeah. Hey Brian, crazy what Shakespearean yeah, yeah. soliloquy does that movie get its title from? Oh God, you're going way too hardcore for me, man. To no be idea. or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to endure the slings and arrows. Of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's Mac- your, um, not Macbeth, God damn it, it's Hamlet. How is it that I could <laughs> quote the fucking soliloquy, but I couldn't get the name of the damn play? All right, like, we're damn, moving that on. sounded pretty good. All, All right, right, yeah, let's move. <laughs> now it's time for our next section, which I like to call recap-itation. Brian, take it away. Alright, so we're going to do a little quick recap here on the movie. Just um, little tidbits here and there, just to kind of get everybody sped up. So, we have two guys who are out on a backpacking trip. We got uh, David and Jack, and uh, they're going out into the moors. Or I believe they're not going to the moors, they're going, you know, on the outskirts of London on a little backpacking trip. Um, They come across a small little village who happens to have a pretty badass uh, tavern called, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Slaughtered Lamb. Sla- the Slaughtered Lamb, that's right, that's right. Which is funny because it didn't even have a slaughtered lamb on the picture at all, which is kind of funny. Anyways, they go there, they meet up with these people, and they say, hey, stay away from the moors, keep on the road, yada, yada. Well, they leave, They um, a storm hits, they end up stay, you know, walking off the road, they get attacked by a werewolf, um, Jack gets killed. David survives because uh, you know the villagers come and uh, kill the werewolf. Um, David then has crazy dreams of him killing a bunch of uh, animals. Um, he meets up with a super hot nurse. Um, they soon after live together, which is super fast. I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll and, get into um, that. Yeah. Right. And uh, you know, craziness you know happens soon thereafter. Um, people end up getting killed. There's some decapitations. Um, there's Nazi fucking werewolves. Uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of everything. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's about it. A potpourri of lycanthropic misanthropy. That's right. That's right. You know, I feel like there was um, there was one term that I feel like. There was a phrase. Hold on. Your carnivorous lunar fixations. What is that? Yeah, I forget. I wrote it down. I feel like it would be like a perfect death metal. Okay, carnivorous lunar activity there sounds. We go. Damn. Wouldn't that be a pretty sweet uh, death metal van? Hell yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it'd be yeah, CLA, carnivorous CLA. lunar activities. 
We are carnivorous liver activities. Y'all can fuck off and die. Which is which is funny, right? Because I feel like it's like really kind of like a nerdy way of like describing like a werewolf howling. Yeah, it's like you know going to my youth. Telling a kid that he suffered from rectal cranial inversion. <laughs> saying that you're a butthead. Saying that you have your head up your ass. Yeah, not good. All right, so now that Brian's been so kind as to do the recapitation, it's time to move on to the sleigh-by-play. Pretty much it's just think of it like play-by-play, and like Brian and I are like the guys in the hockey booth, and we're just going to tell you what happens in the movie and kind of tell you what we think about it and stuff. Right, we'll just uh, we'll just spitball it back and forth on uh, the different things that happen within the movie, uh, what we feel like um, is good with the movie, what we th- feel like uh, maybe they need to you know change this or that. Um, so yeah, we'll take it away. All right, so going to your point, The Slaughtered Lamb, Jack asks, what kind of name is that for a pub? And I have to tell you, Brian, living in Southern California where craft beer is becoming just a plague, I ask myself, where the fuck they come up with the names of these fucking beers all the time? Uh, do you find yeah. I mean, you actually consume the L? Do you have a hard yeah, time he, with a straight face looking, going, "I would like the crusty beaver pale ale, please"? Right, right, right. The peanut butter fucking beaver ale of some sort. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like I mean they they're coming out of nowhere. Like I mean, really? Like I guess uh, I mean you know what's funny? I'm gonna I'm gonna make fun of this, right? The Elysium Space Dust. It's like one of my favorite IPAs, right? But you're like space dust. How does that in any way like relate to beer? It yeah, doesn't. It, it doesn't, doesn't sound like it's, it's gonna <laughs> quench your thirst. In fact, I feel like it would make you more parched to consume dust. <laughs> exactly. So maybe that's their plan. They're like, well, drink enough uh, stuff, you know, have have enough stuff that has dust in it, and you'll consume more. So awesome. drink up, drink up, bitches. That mental association. Oh, dust. My mouth's kind of dry. I'm kind of sober right now. I think I need yeah, a but, beer. But, you know, in all honesty, uh, I feel like anything's better than uh, Coors Light. So, uh, <laughs> I ain't never yeah. even had a beer, and I know that shit's piss water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So uh, I think after the fact, um, after they leave the the lot, uh, slaughtered lamb. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Think, you, can't, um, you can't move that fast, my dog. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm, not mov- I'm not moving on. I'm just going um, as far as I believe Jack, um, which I feel like is the funny of the two. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he even says, uh, what, where's the next place we'll stop at? Uh, Duck's Breath. <laughs> right? Did you catch that? <laughs> I really like that character. I mean, he does such a good job of, you know, taking what would be an absurd character. Like, on paper, I can understand how this takes eight years to make because I'm like, what the actual fuck? Like, you mean he's a zombie, but he's... I well, Anyway, he does a great job of humanizing everything in the movie. But, right, um, absolutely. He also says something in that initial part. He says, you know, whatever happens, it's your fault, he says to David, because they reference the fact that he wanted to go to Rome. So this whole oh, thing that happens is all David's fault. And it's like, man, that's such a good foreshadow. I mean, that shows real craft in the screenwriting. So uh, I want to move on to the joke. Do you remember the joke from the pub? When they break the ice with the locals, and the guy talks about the plane with the UN going over the ocean. Okay, so <laughs> I, you know what's funny is the entire joke. I felt like it was um, similar to when I was watching um, A Clockwork Orange. Oh, they were right? going to say Where Donald I... Trump speak. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> no, well, I mean, politics aside, 
Um, Remember the Alamo. A, a, a Clockwork Orange is super cockney, mm-hmm. and I don't understand a word they are saying the entire time. And so, a little like, bit the of the whole, ultraviolence, right? The uh, the entire like joke, right? I'm I'm just like looking at Michelle with like the blank face, like I have no idea what the fuck they're saying. <laughs> so, long and short of it is, they're going over the ocean. They know they're going to run out of gas. They throw out all the luggage, still too heavy. They throw out all the, you know, the seats, still too heavy. So the Frenchman, being like you know a proud man, wants to save everybody else and says "Vive la France" and jumps out of the plane. When the British man, also wanting to do right, says "You know, God save the Queen" and he jumps out of the plane. And then the Texan throws the Mexican out and says, "Remember the Alamo." <laughs> <laughs> it's 37 years old, bro, and it's still that's good. super topical. That's that's really good. I actually like that a lot. <laughs> so by this point, you've already had two warnings because you have the guy driving the truck at the beginning, which, I mean, what a great way of establishing a character. All it is is a truck driving up, and you see these like poor kids in the back, so you instantly know, probably about college age, they're going on a backpacking trip, social status isn't great. I mean, these aren't you know rich people, so you get a very vivid image of them right, right. away. He says, yeah. stay off the moors, stay on the road. He, they go to the pub. They say the same fucking thing. And these That's guys true. are like, That's nah. True. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is it's, it's one of those things where I feel like they're like, stay off the moors, stick stick to the roads, you'll be good to go. Right? And it's like uh, all of a sudden it started raining, and they're like, well, where'd the road go? <laughs> right? So, yeah, so, Brian, what age did you think these guys were supposed to be? Because, like I said, instantly you know they're backpacking. You know, right. You know, you know how what? old they're supposed to be, but how old did you think they were? I feel like they're somewhere in their like late 20s. I'd say like eh, mid to late 20s, so 25, 26, yeah. around that area. I get the vibe that they're supposed to be in their earlier 20s, especially when you hear David talk to his sister Rachel. But You know what? That's true. Yeah, That's true. He's 30 by the time they're filming this movie, and Jack is 26. So I feel like... You know, I certainly, in my mid to late 20s, wouldn't have had the freedom to go do this. So maybe I... And plus, here's the thing that keeps messing with me. This dude, the guy who plays David, also David Naughton, uh, I've always looked at him as an adult. He is now younger than I am at the time when they did this movie. So that's something right, I was kind right. of processing. I was like, fuck, I'm old. Like, I'm the well, adult now. Well, you know what's funny is it's it's one of those things, especially as like a timepiece... Well, I guess I don't know. Not necessarily the time. Because, you know, I, f- I feel like it's it's set specifically in in the eighties when it came out. But um, it's different as far as people being able to afford to backpack across Europe, right? I mean, it's like it. You you think to yourself, you're like, man, I wish I could have done that. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. right out of college, like, fuck, that'd be sweet. Oh yeah. But I have to pay back Fannie Mae for like the rest of my life. Mm. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Thanks, Navient, for sending me so many emails thanking me for. The privilege of paying you uh, interest. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, man. They gotta, they gotta collect. It's crazy. Uh, there's a, a Withering Heights reference. I don't know if you noticed, but Jack condescendingly references Heathcliff on the Moors, uh, which refers to that shit fuck book that I did not read. I, I had saying, to Google nope. it because I was like, ah, nope. that sounds familiar. And the only two Heathcliffs I know are vague references to Withering Heights and the lesser of the Garfield. And, um, Bravo, man. Bravo. So here's I how I redeem not. myself. I might not have read Withering Heights, but I know that the Moors they're talking about in this movie aren't black people like Othello. Boom. <laughs> you might remember that that is called the Moor of Venice. Right. I don't think that's it's actually fun. black. 
it's I actually probably sound more racist and stupid now that I just said plainly. Well, you know, I mean, we get the idea. I mean, I, I feel like I do recall that as well. I want to say it was in, goddamn, what was that movie with uh, Brad Pitt? Uh, True Romance. Wasn't True Romance? Didn't they? You've seen True, True Romance, right? Isn't that Christian Slater? Uh, Christian Slater's in it. Brad Pitt's in it. Um, really? And somebody else as well. Um, what the hell is the guy from Joe Dirt? He's like uh, the janitor. What was his name? I remember the movie. Oh, Christopher Walken. Yeah. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. So Christopher Walken, right? In True Romance, he's talking to um, Dennis Hopper. So basically Dennis Hopper is in it, and he is uh, somebody's father in True Romance. And um, uh, Christopher Walken is like this like head honcho, like um, mob boss, which, you know, hard to believe, right? Um, and so he, uh, t- you know, he, he beats up uh, Dennis Hopper and, you know, threatens to kill him, this or that. And then Dennis Hopper goes into this, like, big spiel about, um, you know, how Christopher Walken is Italian and how the Moors ended up taking over um, parts of Italy. And so, um, I don't know, I don't want to go too much into it as far as, because it kind of gets a little vulgar, a little racist, but it has something to do with uh, Moors and something to do with Chris, um, Christopher Walken being a Moor. And so then Christopher Walken ends up shooting uh, Dennis Hopper in the face, saying, like, you know, it's been, you know, over 10 years since I've had to kill somebody. So, wow. anyways. <laughs> yeah, so that's my little, uh, you know, segue from, uh, you know, talking about American Werewolf in London to, uh, yeah, the Moors, because you were talking about the Moors. <laughs> I like it. I like more more talk, not less more talk. That's it, man. That's it. And forget what they say. Less, less more is not more. Right. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So immediately after making his joke, you know, David falls down, Jack picks him up, and what happens? Bada boom, we get a glimpse of a werewolf. Right. Fun fact, Rick Baker was like, hey, don't fuck up this werewolf. I spent a lot of time working on this. First thing the actor does is accidentally rip off all the skin. So Rick Baker has famously been quoted as joking and saying that he considered putting real hard plastic teeth just to get vengeance. Oh man, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Although you know what? Can we can we kind of backstep a little bit? I want sure. to talk about um, the fact that there's a, a five pointed star in the slaughtered lamb, right? Oh, with yeah. with candles that look like they come from like fucking like human skin candles mm. on the wall <laughs> and yeah like if you burn them then the sanderson sisters are going to come back right those kind of candles right yeah. and it's funny because like everybody is just like well they're burning and this is just a five-pointed star like normal and anybody else who looks at that they're going to be like hey what the fuck's up with the five-pointed star you know and they're like looking at it like Oh, that old thing? Uh, no, don't worry about that. That's just, uh, it's been here for years, you know? It's it's kind of yeah. funny. <laughs> I like it. So, you know, it kind of goes, and it's interesting, because you see a lot of pagan rituals and stuff, and so the pentagram, the pentacle, it's one of those universal symbols that so many cultures have, and generally the symbolism is largely the same. And so I believe this version is called an endless knot, which makes it a demonic ward, which means that it's supposed to be for protection. Um, but it's funny that they don't even get into it. I think that's one of the cool things. I mean, we've kind of talked about that in the past. It's like you give a little hint and then you let the audience's imagination unravel it. Right. Where you're like, 
you know, is there more? Did they create this werewolf? Is this some kind of, you know, as opposed to a morphological, biological issue, is this some kind of demon and an evocation and a spiritual possession? So, it's fun. So, like it. so here's here's my thought process, though. When, mm. I see, when I see it, I'm thinking, okay, here's a pentagram, right? Not necessarily here's something to ward off evil. I don't know if necessarily everybody's going to jump to the conclusion that, okay, well, this is something to ward off evil. Maybe this yeah. is something that, like, they're burning this because they know there's an evil entity out there. And it's just their way of kind of just, I don't know, coping with it, I guess, or not necessarily coping, but, like... Or getting on the good side of evil. Right, like exactly. The enemy of my enemy. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that's, I that's totally where see I that. from that. Well, also, so, we'll get into this later, um, but it seems that there is a full moon two days in a row. So David becomes a werewolf, and the next night also becomes a werewolf. Right, right. And, you know, what's funny is I actually mentioned that to Michelle during the movie, and I was like, wait, what? Why are there two full moons? And she's like, yeah, that's actually a thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. it is? I didn't. I had no idea. I'm fucking 31 years old. I'm like, oh, nah. my God. I didn't. She's right and she's wrong. Um, oh, you know, I'm astro- going to tell Michelle yeah. you said that. Yeah. Astronomically <laughs> speaking, it could technically happen because a full moon doesn't actually last for a full 24-hour period, but blah, blah. The point is, in Wiccan belief, a full moon can last you know, up to six days. Oh, wow. Because it could be three days before, it could be three days after. So when you think about the space that you're talking about, so having this symbol that is also used in Wiccan actually kind of helps tie it together. Because until I did that extra research, I was like, man, that's a real plot hole. It doesn't make any sense. And right. I'm like, ah, you should have just set <laughs> one line, and I would have realized how brilliant right. you are. You know what's funny, too? You know what I brought up to Michelle? I was thinking like... Uh, does everybody in the village uh, have like a, a lunar calendar, like just like hanging out? <laughs> yep. <laughs> They're like, oh shit, <laughs> tomorrow's the night. Stay the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I think that the Garfield of that town really hates Mondays. That's a reference to Moon Days. That's it. That's it. So um, I really like that David runs away. Okay. He is not John McClane. He is not The Rock. He is a college student. Or feasibly, who is on a vacation, and a giant monster appears, and so his flight instincts kick in. He runs, and then he stops and says, "Jack," and runs back. So he does do the right thing, but it's, being it, frank, instinctively, he ran away, which I think makes him a more vulnerable and ultimately yeah. relatable character. It's definitely more believable. Absolutely, it's not one of those things where you're just like, "Oh my God, here's this giant werewolf. I'm gonna turn around and face it like mano y mano." Like that doesn't yeah. make sense. Mm-mm. And so there's uh, a cartoonist I really like on Instagram called Adam Tots. And he has a great comic where it's this beautiful figure skater and doing a triple lutz or whatever. And then it cuts to him on the couch eating uh, chips and drinking a beer. And be like, I could do that. And I feel like so often men have this like false sense of bravado where they're like, I'd fuck, I'd, you know, what, what Mark Wahlberg thinks that he would stop 9-11 if he was on the plane. No. No, yeah. you would not, Marky Mark. Yeah. Well, you know, and then I feel like that's... Um... A lot of that has to do with the internet these days. I mean, how many keyboard warriors are there? That just oh, like, God. you know what I mean? They're like, oh, oh my God. How did you not see that kit coming to your face? Like when we're talking about like UFC and stuff. And you're like, uh, what? <laughs> When's the yeah. last time you did anything, you know? Anything. <laughs> um, yeah, we could go into the weeds on the amount of things that I've heard people say about MMA where I'm like, ah, you are 
I don't even know where to start. Right. In terms right. of explaining to you how fucking stupid you are. I mean, we can like, we can literally take Paige Van Zant and she can come to your house and beat your ass. <laughs> oh, dude, hard. <laughs> she could dance with the stars on your ass. That's it, all over the face. Yep. So, um, so immediately after, you know, David gets back, he gets clawed by the werewolf. And then there's a crowd of people with shotguns, and they shoot the werewolf. And I'm like, you guys couldn't yeah. have just shot it two seconds earlier. Yeah. yeah. Very poor timing. Yeah. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, I mean, I feel like they had to have some way of stopping the werewolf, right? Because, I mean, yeah. David's going to get hit. David's gonna get attacked. And if he doesn't get killed, there's got to be some way for the werewolf to just, I don't know. I mean, I guess he could technically just kind of just be like okay well he's i think he's dead and just kind of like you know lope off but at the same time mm-hmm. i mean that also goes against the whole storyline of kind of being the last world so oh for sure and i think that it's interesting because his injuries seem to be rather innocuous you know he has a scratch to the face and a claw mark on the chest you don't see like any internal organ damage but yet he's in a coma for three weeks none of the doctors ever say like uh, it seemed a little weird you'd be in a coma if it was just that, but it's kind of implied. Um, he, uh, you know, Not even just wanting the gore, I just kind of wish that he had more of a substantial injury because then a rapid healing is generally associated with like lycanthropy, and right. so then it kind of builds right. that lore. Well, and then you also you look at um, the injuries that uh, Jack, you know, incurred, and you're like, Jesus, like he got tore right yeah. and then it's like uh david's like merely a flesh wound <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it's like here's my pinky nail like scratch <laughs> so after this whole scene there's footage of a, a camera going through the woods and it's very you know it's clearly meant to be the perspective of a wolf running through the wolves right. very primal i really like that did it, re- did it remind you of evil dead yeah absolutely absolutely dude this movie came out August 21st, 81. Evil Dead came out October 15th, 81. Wow. So, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I don't think that it's plagiarized in any way. It just right, like, right, especially right. Especially with the timetable being that close, it's like yeah, it, two great filmmakers just had the same idea. It's it's definitely reminiscent. And it's one of those things that it's, it's so easy to do, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, uh, okay, so I have to essentially keep the camera um, low to the ground and kind of seem like you're loping or just kind of like stumbling forward. I mean, I don't even know if there's like a really like a, a specific technique on how to act like a dog or something. I mean, I feel like nowadays it would be so easy, right? You just like throw a GoPro a drone. onto it. I mean, yeah. well, you could throw a GoPro on a dog and just have him run through the freaking forest, right? And it's like that is the closest thing you could probably get to something as far along the lines of uh, kind of like a werewolf. So. Yeah. And I think those scenes are really interesting. Tell me if you picked up on what I think the theme is. Because the first time, there's no body. The second time, David's running through the woods naked. The third time, he's running through the woods fully clothed, but he's running towards his body. I think that the dreams are meant to symbolize his recuperation. You know, he's, like, dissociated from himself, and it's his perspective coming back to human, like, to so, consciousness. So, like, waking up from uh, from being in a coma. Exactly, but I mean, some of the dreams take place after, but I think it's like the symbol of like the full recovery. And yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting um, kind of look, right? Because it's like the first time it happens, I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. I wasn't sure if there was like a dream, because it's it's kind of hard for me to 
kind of grasp if it's if it's something that he's actually doing himself or if it's a dream, right? Because it's it just kind of cuts to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's no Wayne's World. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it just goes right into it. So we end up in the hospital. Uh, the, the guy from the U.S. Embassy shows up. Oh. He looks just like Tobias Funke from Arrested <laughs> Development, The Never Nude. Total nerd. Do you know? Do you know who that is? No, no. Tell me. That's the Frank Oz. That's Yoda. That's Miss Piggy in the flesh. Is it really? Yeah, that nerdy pencil neck guy. Is that's so funny. One of the that's so funny. Character like, actors of all time. Oh, excuse me, David. Maybe when you're uh, feeling a little less frisky, I'll come back. <laughs> And he like calls him like a piece of shit or an asshole or something like that. And I was like, oh, nice. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I didn't. So I, figured, I, I didn't really catch what the um, the not super attractive Alex Nurse. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like that's really bad for me to say, but anyways, uh, she's clearly going to be the opposite of Alex, right? For like comedic relief. Um, and so she made like a joke. She referred to something. I don't know if it was like. Well, I checked his. I want to say it's like dick. she checked his, his dick, dick, right? Okay. Yeah, she checked his dick. <laughs> That's what um, I thought. Yeah, and we'll get we we can talk about it now. We can talk about it later. But that dick's coming back in this conversation. Oh yeah. Um, and, we'll, we'll we'll move forward. So we have our friends, the cops, who show up. Our friends, the cops. Hear that? You know, blue lives matter and stuff. Whatever. So long as you get me out of a fucking ticket, <laughs> if you ever pull me over. I don't know. I will those say literally whatever you want me to say to get out of a ticket. <laughs> So. Uh, but so the cops show up. They're investigating. Blah blah blah. There's the great comedy bits with the rookie cop who is a complete imbecile. Brian, he knocks over the bedpans and he's stacking the bedpans. So he can't get it right. It's so great. He's like, okay, this is a triangle. This is a square. Let me try and mash this. <laughs> Tell me if this vision came to your head when you're watching it. I'm sitting there. And I'm eight years old, and I'm watching Legends of the Hidden Temple again. And I'm seeing these fucking kids struggle with the silver monkey totem. And I'm like, you put the ass first, and then the torso, and then the head. You fucking idiot. You know what's funny? The first thing that came to mind when I saw the bedpans was Forrest Gump. Excellent. I just imagine old Forrest with the ice cream. (laughs) Lieutenant Dan thrown in the bedpan. Oh, yeah. But the uh, the rookie cop has some progression because you know when they come back later on and he's more competent. Did you notice that his tie is only slightly fucked instead of completely right? Done right, he's, wrong? He, he's he's definitely making up for uh, some of the fuck ups he did earlier. But it's funny because I even feel like the first time they met. I believe it's the first time they met uh, David. He had some really good points, right? Where he's clearly like yeah. the idiot of the two, and like the you know the head detective who's kind of like the snub nose is like like quick to like push everything away. He's like, ah, nah, it was just some crazy maniac. Well, I think that I think he's in on the conspiracy <clears throat> to like hide it and hush hush. I would really have loved if there was like one little line of like, oh yeah, well you know I'm from there. That's yeah. that's my home. Yeah. That way you know, like, ah, uh, he's in it. Like the hot fuzz kind of the, Right, right. They're know, trying the to colony. protect their own. Exactly. Huh. Um, David starts having more hallucinations. He says at one point, my memory's fine. It's my sanity I'm beginning to worry about. Let me tell you this, Brian. That's exactly what studying for the bar exam was like. <laughs> I was like, I'm remembering this stuff, but I'm also forgetting who I am and I'm crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense, man. Lawyers. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I sometimes still have dreams about the bar exam. Those dreams do not compare to Nazi werewolves who slaughter my family while watching the Muppets. But hey, 
they're still weird dreams. Yeah, yeah man. That's a, that's a good part of the movie, though. I like it. <laughs> so apparently Rick Baker is the werewolf who... I, this is the thing. I've seen, like, you know, contradictory indications. So one says that Rick Baker had a cameo. He's the werewolf who has the knife to David's he throat. He slits the throat. I said, yeah. I've seen multiple other ones where it says that the stuntman who was in that suit couldn't see and had a knife, and so David Naughton was confused. Whatever. The, the truth is somewhere... Maybe there's a two-second shot of Rick Baker in there. Maybe there's not. Who gives a fuck because you can't see him anyway? Right. And he's an right. actor. Or he's was, not an actor. He's so, a designer. So was that crazy dream while he was in the hospital? That was, right? Yeah. That was. Yeah. That that dream, man. That was fucking crazy. Nazi werewolves. I feel like that's like that could also be a uh, some sort of like a punk band. The Nazi werewolves from space or something. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could totally see it. So here's the fun fact. The actor, David Naughton, not uncircumcised, mm. and his character is a Jew, which you can see from the menorah in the background when the Nazis are using an Uzi to kill everyone. Nice, yeah. I, you know what's funny is I didn't know that an Uzi can throw somebody back like it did the mom. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's amazing. She's on a bungee cord. <laughs> and then the poor kids, man. You know what's funny is uh, luckily... You know, I feel like it was tastefully done where they didn't show the kids just get brutally murdered. They just show them laying on the ground, like, covered in blood. And I'm like, eh, eh. you know what? That's that's fine. I mean. Eh. <laughs> it's a cop-out. It's just like Pet Cemetery, the bloody shoe. Right, right. But I'm hey, Brian. I want to see kids die. To, to, be, to be fair, to be fair, they did pan back to the kids on fire. And, it's, I mean, it's just like dummies, just like on fire. But so good. But still, it's pretty damn good. So he wakes up and his best friend, a zombie, is standing there and says, "Hey, can I have some? Uh, can I have a piece of toast?" And he replies, "Get the fuck out of here, Jack." I mean, I love this movie, but dog, the the you see your dead friend standing across and the room from you, and you just say, "Get the fuck out." You just say, "Get the fuck out." I get it because it, it, you know, immediately thereafter they start joking with each other. They move, you know, they're talking about um, what is it, Debbie Klein. How she's sleeping oh, with this guy, Mark. It's very fun and free-moving, and you kind of establish, like, oh, they're still best friends. But at the same point, it's like, I wish that that initial shock were a bit more, right? Right. It, it seems like it, it should be a little bit more genuine, right? It's one of those things where it's like he should feel like the immediate remorse. Like, oh, shit, you died because of me? But, I mean, technically he didn't. But, I mean, he should feel like, well, I left you. So I'm so sorry, but you know, yeah, the imploring I thought for sure, um, you know, and especially like I kind of give him a pass because he just comes out of this weird nightmare and he's even like, am I asleep? Am I awake? I don't know. So that sense of vulnerability, but I feel like here's your opportunity, and he never says that he's. I'm sorry that I was a coward. It's always like I'm sorry this happened to you. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's totally true. I mean, did we did we go over the fact that um, he wakes up immediately and sees like the most you know like ridiculously attractive nurse like on like the entire probably hospital and she's like oh well I'm gonna be your head nurse so how's it going? <laughs> I'm gonna give you head nurse. I mean, wait. Um, uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, right? Because he wakes up to the, you know, the other one. I'm, I'm just going to say the other one to be <laughs> to be nice. And then all of a sudden she walks in and you're just like, wow, this dude looked out. So, anyways, back to uh, Jack and David. Yeah, um, I think that it's pretty great that David condescendingly says, you know, you are a very well-liked person. And you're like, 
this guy is talking about how his you know his family is mourning his loss, and you have this like little tongue in cheek quip, which I think is kind of good because it kind of gives him a free pass when he comes out of the dream to treat it as a dream or like treat the interaction with Jack as a dream, as opposed to have it like haunting him and be like, oh my god, I'm trembling. Right, so it kind of right, gives him right. the right to be like, oh, it's just silly. Yeah, definitely. And you know what's funny is uh, it totally reminisced me of Pet Cemetery, right? Uh, Alex Al, uh, pa- Pascal. Pascal, yeah. Pascal or Victor Pascal. Victor Pascal. That's right. Yeah, it's funny because you had brought that. You had brought that up during the Pet Cemetery cast, and um, I wasn't sure because you know uh, it had been a very long time since I had watched um, this movie, and so when you uh, when he showed up, it was just like, oh my god, it's like here we go again. <laughs> Same kind of thing, right? Same kind of thing. Uh, I like it's very no. It's, it's I love the grotesque with the sympathetic character. Like you know, in this the makeup in this scene. Well, the makeup in all the Jack scenes are great. Uh, this one's particularly my favorite. Uh, it goes this one and then the one in the porn theater. My two favorite of all of them. Right. This one. Um, this one's great. Right. Because this is the one that has like the skin flapping and it's like constantly yeah. like wiggling around. Like that's the entire thing that I was focused on like, during the like when he was talking to David, which is this little tiny piece of skin flap that would just like wiggle around like. Yeah, I think the only other movie to do the uh, reanimated corpse in such a funny way would be Monkey Bone with Chris Kattan. I have not seen it. <laughs> Don't. I'm telling you now. It was. It was meant. That joke was meant to fall on its face, just like that movie. Did. I was like, moving uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> so he says pretty famously, "the the wolf's bloodline must be severed." Right. Right. So the ending of this movie. Spoilers, fuckheads. If you haven't, if you're mutant goons from beyond, you know. Spoilers from the get-go. You know, David dies. So it's implied that the bloodline is severed. Jack and all the victims get to go on their merry way. But then, American Werewolf in Paris decides to buttfuck the mythology (laughs) and have his daughter there. And they never address Jack at all. The fucking peace level, this is resistance. Jack Goodman, the best character in this movie, my favorite character in this movie. It's just, I guess, implied that he's still walking the earth, but if he's... you're continuing the rate of decomposition. He's a pile of sarcastic dust that this <laughs> person's dealing with. That, that's reason enough to hate American Werewolf in Paris. So, Brian, you move on. I mean, I always thought, to be honest with you, um, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but my little theory was like, you know, during the sex scene, he somehow impregnated her with a werewolf. <laughs> no, that's what happens. Is that... Is, in the sequel, yeah, that, in the uh, sequel, it's his daughter, Andy, who... Um, it has the werewolf, the lycanthropy, and then it's, like, experimented on, and it's not good. Oh, so it was, like, that one and done, right? So he's, like, super potent. He's, like, we just need to have sex that one time. Yeah, man. I guess it's werewolf so. sperm. <laughs> super swimmers, An man. egg. Yeah, man, an egg looks just like a full moon. So those guys are fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, you know. I always he, wish that there was, a, like, a, a post-credit to this movie where it just, like, showed Alex, like, holding her stomach, like, the womb. Yeah, and like looking at the moon because like that would be such a great like because i don't need the sequel then my imagination is the sequel but that's you know just ties it in a bit better imagine like um like an alien she's just like holding her stomach and there's just like a little (laughs) fucking alien moving around and shit but it's a werewolf (laughs) yeah and then you mix it with space balls so it comes out as a dance number like michigan j frog (laughs) 
I like Hello, it. my baby. I like it. Hello, my honey. So how about how about um, the doctor? I forget. I, I didn't catch his name, but the the head doctor for the hospital, right? He just like comes in, and it's funny, right? Because he just like explains to David what happened or what he feels like happens. He's like, well, it was a maniac. Apparently, a maniac went and attacked your friend and you, and you were lucky to survive. And he's like, well, I don't recall it being some man, but okay. And he's like, well, I mean, the maniac technically has the strength of 10 men and you're like hmm hold on you're a doctor science you're a doctor did you just use science doctor (laughs) he must have just science the fuck out of us right now (laughs) i really enjoy that he becomes columbo later on in the movie and is like oh i'm just a doddering idiot i guess i'm gonna do some gumshoe work i was like what the fuck right right he just like well hmm this doesn't add up. Let me go up to this village all willy-nilly and see if I could uncover some stuff. Yeah, Doc, I hope your hands are steady and you're a better surgeon than you are an interrogator because that was rough. Yeah, no shit. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny, right? Um, after, after you know, he talks to the detectives, he talks to the doctor, the doctor kind of explains everything to him. You know, he has a couple um, dreams. He has a couple run-ins with Alex. You know, she I thought it was kind of a creepy scene, right, um, where she's, like, trying to force feed him. <laughs> and oh, he, yeah. And he's like, he's like, oh, I'm not hungry. And you're like, well, are you really not hungry because you're a werewolf and you want to eat flesh? Or are you really not hungry because you're trying to be coy? <laughs> yeah, and I, she she is a very interesting character. I'd love to see a sequel with just her dealing with having a werewolf baby because this lady is watching over this man who jumps up and exclaims, "I'm a werewolf!" while crying after his you know zombie friend disappears. He's up against the wall. He then kisses her, tells her about Jack, and then she invites him to shack up with her. <laughs> And they just start living together. Right, right. I always thought, you know, when I was watching it, I was thinking, like, is it this? Is it really that easy? Was I missing something? Seriously. <laughs> My wife and I ended up moving in together after less than three months of dating, and people were like, what? And people tried to, like, intervene. Nobody gives a fuck. The hospital staff's like, yeah, sure, take him. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> I'm sure. It just seems like a paranoid schizophrenic with delusions of lycanthropy. No, it's fine. You'll end up fine. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, re- I think I recall the doctor even telling him, like, uh, within a couple days, you'll be, uh, you know, you'll be good to go. So I feel like they're like, yeah, as long as you're gone out of, you know, we're not paying anything out of our pockets for you to stay. So see you later. Public health, right? <laughs> But uh, did you notice that she says that she's not in the habit of picking up stray American boys? Yeah. I was like, that's that's a great dog pun. Yeah, that is. <laughs> that I do recall that, but it's funny because I didn't put two and two together. So that's uh, good on her, man. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, so they so just this- they just apparently go shopping, right? They're like, oh, well, we need to do a fun little shopping spree and get David some clothes. And he ends up just wearing the same outfit for like the rest of the movie. <laughs> and then they end up on the subway tube. And there's all these punk kids with their hair, and he's, like, making cute faces at her, right? And, like, there's no point in that scene at all. No, there's really... In terms of, like, story structure. There's really there's sure. really not. It just, I mean, it seems like it's just kind of showing, like, uh, David's playful nature and far, yeah. as far as... But it's funny because it, it almost seems like he's just so childish and trying to, like, uh, pick up on See her. See what I mean? Right? Like, he's early 20s. Like, he's a goof. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But the thing is, is like, I really love that scene like it, it kind of gives a reason for her to like him so much and it's a it's good for the pacing i mean it shows that this is a guy who 
his entire nature has changed. It, it very much helps that kind of Jekyll and Hyde mentality of the two-faced, the polar opposites. You have this guy who's very civilized in a lot of ways, while albeit uncouth and kind of silly, and then a, a feral monster who destroys everything. So then, Brian, um, because you seem to have a penchant for this uh, head nurse, what happens when they get back her apartment so uh, i thought it was really good right she's like well let me show you the flat and so she just does like this like <laughs> and then she says let me show you what's not flat uh, yeah no shit titties. no shit titties um yeah so she you know she does her whole little uh spiel right here's the living room here's the kitchen here's the bathroom here's the <laughs> here's the clattereth <laughs> Right, you know, and she's just like, you know, very casually like, uh, well, make yourself comfortable. I'm going to go take a shower. And then it's just like all of a sudden cut scene. We're doing it in the shower. <laughs> and it's yeah. funny because it's like right when they started doing it in the shower, this amazing soundtrack happened. And I was just like, well, why can't I have this amazing soundtrack happen every time I do the dirty? Yeah, man. I uh, I could definitely empathize. I had a an elaborate plan when I was a, a wee lad that when I would lost my virginity, it would be to the Scorpion song, No One Like You. <laughs> that was not what happened. Uh, moving on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you, did, did this strike your mind? Did you ask, how good was David in bed before he was a werewolf? Oh, because absolutely. Because I had this mentality of like, you know, she's in an exhausted heap on his chest when it's all said and done, and I'm thinking... Young Frankenstein. That's what this is. Yeah. And I wish that we would have had like one comment from Jack of like, man, you can't get anybody laid. Like, you make fun of me for trying to get with Debbie Klein, but you can't do anything. And then the next scene, he's like, virile Herculean <laughs> dick slinger. I like it. I like it. You know what's funny is um, <laughs> the first thing that came to mind after uh, after the whole thing was they didn't show any kind of doggy style. Right. I mean, this is obviously this isn't some rated X film or whatnot. But I mean, come on, there has to be. You could use it. You could do it artfully with a shadow or something. Right. I agree. It's right. A I mean, opportunity. he. I mean, he could have been you know pulling the hair from behind something. You know what I mean? But nothing. So I mean, I feel like they missed out on that one. Maybe I'm just I a perv. Like, <laughs> uh, so we move on. She goes off to work. You get Bad Moon Rising from Clarence, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Uh, he oddly gets locked out of the house for what I assume is just filler for the movie. And then we get to the transformation scene. Um, you know, it, it had been a long time since you'd seen the movie, or at the very least the clip. Uh, how did it strike you in, I mean, we're talking almost 38 years later. Right. This, does it hold up? Oh, absolutely. This is definitely one of those uh, transformations that I feel like um, a lot of other werewolf films kind of aspire to be. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that... Um, you, you know, we were talking earlier about um, uh, Hemlock Grove, right? There's like this like hideous transformation, right? And I feel like a lot of a lot of times people, especially just not necessarily uh, horror fans, casual horror fans, I guess, would say like, um, "Wow, being a werewolf sounds really cool," right? And then you're like, "No, mm. uh, uh-uh. <laughs> pass, hard pass." <laughs> like if if you know, even once a month. What happened in this movie happens to me. Nah, nah, dog. <laughs> I'm gonna pass on that. So, go on. Yeah, I think women who already suffer from pain once a month would still be like, no, and their pain threshold's way higher than mine. <laughs> Not happening. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that uh, 
yeah, you know, and another thing also is I feel like for the amount of time that they put into the transformation, like, I can't recall the last time I saw in a werewolf movie how much time it took for the transformation to happen. Usually it seems like um, the the full moon appears, the eyeballs change colors, uh, cuts away, all of a sudden they're a full, full-on hairy beast. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, it's... Where you got a little bit of fur... A little bit more for the back flexing done, right? Exactly, and yeah. this is and this is something where like it literally looked like every part of his body was changing, and it it just showed how excruciating it was. Yeah, the one thing that really frustrates me with this movie though is uh, it kind of pushes back on some theories that are offered in my literal favorite film of all time, which is Monster Squad, in that he takes his pants off and there is no wolf dork. I don't know if you recall that, but the whole thing was, why does Wolfman wear pants? Because if not, you'd see his wolf dork. And the first thing David does is say that he's burning up, takes off his you know, shirt and pants, well, and no wolf dork. I mean, at this point, how many times have we seen David naked? Dude, twice. Not enough. So this is, twi- this is twice. I think there's three yeah. times. No, four. I take it back. There's the last yeah. time at the in the alley. So there's four times we get to see him naked. So uh, a little bit of David Dick. I cherish them while they last. Uh, you know, uh, you don't see enough protagonist dick in movies. I gotta say, you really don't. It's funny because uh, Michelle actually brought up too. She said, "You know what? It's kind of risque. It seems like for a 1981 film, you see some David Dick. Like, wow." Mm-hmm. And uh, I know what she was he, looking at. One thing we kind of passed up before the transformation, he's talking to Alex and he says that he has the theory that a werewolf has to be killed by someone who loves them. So you expect that to be a degree of foreshadowing. Right. You know, and then my mind instantly goes to, huh, I wonder. I mean, it would, it would logically follow that if the werewolf on the moors was killed by the locals, that one of them would have loved him. That's fine with me. But then you expect it to be foreshadowing, and Alex is just there in the alley when David shot, but she doesn't shoot him. And I wonder, Brian, do you think that they just kind of abandoned that plot point? Or do you think that the fact that she's distracting him from attacking the cops makes her complicit in his murder and thus an accessory to his murder and thus he's able to die as such? I feel like it's 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 definitely the second. It's one of those things where she's distracting him, right? And then it's one of those yeah. things where she's showing the empathy, she's showing the love, and she's basically saying, hey, you need to stop, you need to give up. And then that's having, you know, you see it in his eyes, right? I believe it's one of those things where it flashes back to his eyes. He kind of notices, oh shit, this is Alex she really loves me and then he gets shot so it's like it's it, it kind of transfers over but then there's that one second snarl which is almost like i don't know if it's supposed to be there's two ways you could take it one is you're lulling me into a false sense of security and i'm gonna you know attack and or two is that the primal beast takes over and there is no david uh, but either way you know it gives us something to talk about on the show yeah but we'll get to that a little bit more in depth when he actually dies because right. we're getting to the we're, part where everybody else dies right we're getting to the to the to the messy gory part which is pretty neat i mean i feel like they could have gone a little bit um more into um you know the locals getting massacred um but oh, yeah. you know it's it's one of those things that uh, i feel like it's it's definitely pretty neat how uh they showed that just kind of like different dialogues between like the neighbors, you know, like the people coming to the to you know their friend's house, and they're just like, oh, they're playing an old prank on us, huh? <laughs> you know, we'll get What's the last. One thing laugh. Landis does masterfully is instantaneously, you know, who the person is, you know, their status in life, you know, their personality in a sentence. 
The one dude's telling his wife, let's go around back and we'll play a joke. So you know he's a playful, interesting guy. The other dude is kind of stuffy. The homeless dudes obviously don't have much and they're kind of grouchy. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. And that's one of those things that, um, you know, what's funny is I recall um, the guy, he goes out into the park, right? After he hears like um, all the, you know, stuff, the ruckus happening uh, out at the park. So he goes over and he he notices an arm, a severed arm on the ground. And then it pans up to his face and then it doesn't really show anything else after that. (laughs) I like to think that it's the decorum of the British, and he's like, stay calm and carry on. Mustn't show that I'm disgusted. I like it. Mother would be so disappointed if her boy were to spill his beverage at the sight of blood. I'm I'm watching your mouth move. I'm like, so he he ends up he ends up being the uh, he ends up being the guy that's in the porn theater, right? Or at least one of them. It's it's the guy that sees the the arm, right? Or is that his friend? It's his friend. I don't think he actually dies because by that point, David David's already on. gone. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. For some reason, I was thinking that he gets killed. You're thinking the stuffy dude from the tubes because I thought that too initially. Oh, okay, um, right, right, right. And that dude's great. That guy's voice is so sultry. I wish I had it for the show. <laughs> um, but I, I think the tube one is my favorite. And it, one of the things I don't know if you caught this. If you look at the walls of the subway, you there see the porn, ads the porn poster, the porn, theater. The porn poster. It's great, right? Yep. Like this is world building at its finest. Not only are you making the advertisements, but you're making the fake porno for the movie. Yeah, That's yeah. great stuff. I just, I mean, this is one of the things that caught my eye. <laughs> Again, perv, nonstop orgy. I was like, whoa, what are we getting into? <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> Yeah. Give me a hot nurse and a nonstop porn orgy, and I am good to go. You know what's funny? You know what? I one thing that I feel like they kind of missed out on on the uh, the tunnels or the uh, the subway tube was when he goes up the uh, the escalator. I was really hoping the the werewolf would be would be at the top, right, and have like his mouth open, kind of like. <laughs> the question of how he gets there isn't bad, but here's the, I think this is the intention as to why. Because I even wrote a note about that. When the werewolf is coming in from out and you have the victim going up the escalator, you can't see all of the puppeteering work that's behind him. He just creeps by and the ceiling of the escalator hides his butt and thus the puppeteer. And I was like, man, that's such a clever way of getting around it. Because just like you, I'm thinking, oh, you're going to shoot it from underneath. Here's a way that they were able to shoot it like from the top, show almost the entire thing, and not give anything away. Because they certainly didn't have green screen or black screen or blue screen back then. Right, which is which is part of the ingenious you know, part of the movie, right? Because I feel like so many movies these days, I mean, I hate to bash on new shit, but CGI everything it just kind of takes away a lot of the creativity. Yeah, needlessly so, I think. So he comes to, like we're talking about, he comes back. There's the lovely scene of him in the wolf encampment enclosure. (laughs) That's the word I meant. You see his dick again. You see his dick again. Uh, You definitely do. He is definitely naked. And one thing I'd like to point out is he is hiding in a bush and he lures a little boy to the bush, a naked man. Luring a little boy to a bush. <laughs> a naked American man stole my balloons. <laughs> that must be code word for something else, man. Because uh, <laughs> I don't really listen to Paul McCartney, but I would if he had a song called "A Naked American Man Stole My Balloons." 
I like uh, it. I so like he, it. he gets back to Alex's flat. She's like, yo, dog, where you been? And he's like, don't worry, chick. I feel great. I'm in such a good mood. I'm bouncing around. Right. And it shows that he's like this jovial. And he says, like, oh, I haven't felt this good in a long time, whatever. So they're going to the doctor who's like, hey, shit's real. He's a werewolf. Get him here. Call him the cops. Boom. Did you notice the cab driver? Anything spike your interest about him? Oh, shit. Is he, was he in something else? Yeah, so I had never noticed it before, and I felt like the biggest movie aficionado ever. That dude is uh, Alan Ford, who played Bricktop in Snatch. Oh, shit. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, great character actor, just in this scene and gone. And That's good, man. Fuck, I mean, awesome. It's funny, right? Because, uh, yeah, he plays, like, an integral role, right? He's the one that's like, oh, you guys check that shit on the telly? <laughs> and they're like, uh, And he what? goes, um, what? <laughs> It reminds me of Jar Jar being like, people dying? It's like, yeah, a lot of people dying, David, and it's all your fault. Right. Just like it's been foreshadowed multiple times. And so here, here's here's another great thing uh, leads up to this uh, great part of the movie that I really liked is <laughs> right when he goes uh, he goes up to the, the poor cop, right? And he's just like, hey, you got to arrest me, man. And I feel like it's just like so kind of, I don't know, it seems kind of goofy the way he goes about it, right? He could just clearly like deck the cop in the head and be like, okay. He drops good. the hard F bomb, by the way. Well, I'm sorry? I'm not talking about fuck. I'm talking about the hard F bomb, and I was like, whoa, this is an 80s film. Oh, yes, yes, he definitely did. Yeah, because what he said, like, uh, the queen is a man, and then he's like, Prince Charles is boop. <laughs> yep. There's some places even slashers won't go. That's right. But, uh, yeah, I, de- I definitely, yeah, I like that scene. Even though at the at the time I was thinking to myself, like, okay, yes, you want to get arrested, you're trying to cause a scene, and there's a cop right in front of you, and you're like, well, I'm just going to do everything but assault a cop. So, you know, yeah, all right. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's like he, as a person, seems to abhor violence. Like, he won't hit the cop. He won't slit his wrist. He seems so averse, which I think even adds kind of the charm of he's this sensitive 21st century man, and he's not the werewolf. So when the, the carnivorous lunar activities start, it you know, further dissociates from his natural state of being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so it cuts to our friend the cop, and he has his tie fixed, and they're like, "Oh," <laughs> and then the best scene of the most definitely, um, definitely, at least in my opinion. I think uh, Brian, so take it away. What did I mean? I feel like this is one of the uh, one of our categories, right? What is uh, the the best kill of uh, of the movie? What it the slay of the game? Slay of the game, definitely the slay of the game, right? He, he fucking Colcox, the, the head detective, man, <laughs> just takes his head off, man. Oh, I'm not talking. Oh, I'm talking about shit. the porno theater scene. That's the best part. Oh, I mean, every, my bad. My the bad. transformation is great, but the porno theater scene is—it is a work of masterful art. Okay. While I look at it, and I'm like, how did your brain get there to write this scene? Okay, and so remind me again of where they're actually at in London. They said it a couple times. Something circus, right? Yeah. It's like, I forget. They're like they're at a porno theater in Gilly Circus or something. I don't know. Yeah. It sounded weird. I'm uncultured as fuck. <laughs> I don't. I don't not travel that far. Right. Well. Oh, okay. So I got a passport at age thirty. It's funny, right? So he he's sitting there in in the in the porn shop and or in the in in the theater, the theater. And uh, you know, you get these like <laughs> the scene, right? In the actual porn itself was great, right? Oh yeah. He's like I thought I told you never to do this again. <laughs> I've never seen you before in my life. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like the guy's like, uh, "Who are you?" and she's like, 
<laughs> I don't know. She said something too, and he's just like, "Well, all right, carry on." <laughs> There's another scene later where she answers the phone, and she's like, "What are you talking?" Anyway, keep going. Yeah. So, well, you know, he, he sees Jack, and uh, they start, you know, talking about you know how he needs to kill himself again. And uh, is this the to part... break to sever the bloodline? Right. To sever the specific point. Right. Right. Sever the bloodline. Is this? I I I forget. Is this the um, Jack where he is all green, or is that the Jack before? That's the Jack before. That's the one the from green... his apart from the Alex's apartment after they go to Bone Zone. The green, the Green Goblin Jack. Yeah, which is really fun. But this is the one where he has got like the skeletal mouth. Right, right, right. So then he starts having different people chime in. Right, he's like, "Well, it's not just me. I'm going to introduce you to a few friends of mine." And then he uh, brings in all the people that David is kind of taken out. So you know, you got the first uh, the first guy, which is I believe what we said before is the guy from the tunnel, right? And the first one is the guy with the wife oh, the, and, or, or fiance, the, the, and they're okay. like super plucky and happy, and then it cuts to him. And one of the things that's interesting, you can tell that Jack is his best friend because he specifically has this kind of intervention in a porn theater where A, it's dark, and B, there are titties on the screen. Because he even says he doesn't want David to have to see what he's done. Right. And this dude looks at him and he's like, you've left my wife a widow and my children fatherless. And you're like, fuck, man, that's some serious stuff. <laughs> Let's just let a man watch some titties right, right. before he kills himself in a telephone booth. Was this, was this also the part, I mean, I feel like I might be jumping back and forth. Was this also the part where uh, Jack brings up uh, the fact that Debbie Klein went to his funeral? Or is that the second one? That's the first one. That That's the first oh, one? No. 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 Is it the first one? I, I didn't think it was the first one, but maybe. Anyways. I think it might have been the first one. Oh, fuck. All right. Well, that's way too far. I <laughs> yeah, cause, because David says, you know, you were a, a very well-liked person. And so that he's talking about how many people showed up at the And yeah, he talks about how Debbie Klein was boning some other dude. Okay. Mark. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So, um, but yeah, one thing that I think was really great, even though um, Jack clearly knows that David kind of left him stranded when he got killed. Um, is he was just defending Dave the entire time. Everybody else is like, well, fuck this guy. He just tore us apart. Um, you know what I mean? He, they're like, well, you know, why don't you hang yourself? And then Jack's like, well, come on. What about sleeping pills, guys? Come on. Like, like, well, like what if he messes up? I don't know. Like, yeah, it, it could, his concern isn't like, oh, David could be a vegetable in a, you know, in a wheelchair and not able to kill himself. It's, oh, it might hurt. So I think that's a huge part is that he's very selfless in that scene, which makes him even more sympathetic. Right. He's, he's definitely a likable zombie at this point. So, uh, you know, the werewolfism starts to take over, um, which, you know, the Wiccan, three days of full moon, whatever, so it kind of works, but really doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, he kills the people in the theater. I have a question. A werewolf causes car accidents, right? Right. Do you think that those people would be forced to walk the earth as murdered people like the others? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Okay, I that's what I thought. Too. I can't. I can't imagine um, poor dude with a, a tire running over his face. Um, just has like a tire face for like <laughs> all, all eternity. Like the dude from Beetlejuice. I feel a little flat. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, but you know that that scene right there was great, right? Because I mean, it was just like constant chaos, and it was just like one thing after another after another. And it's one of those things where like <clears throat> it kind of makes you wonder. Like, obviously, this is like movie special effects, but I mean, I feel like sometimes accidents like that happen, right? Where it's like you know, especially like massive car pileups, and it's kind of crazy to think about. Although at the same time. <clears throat> 
I feel like a lot more people are wearing seatbelts, uh, so you're not having yeah. people fly through windshields like how many people did in that scene. But uh, it was definitely kind of cool to see. Yeah, it's also, it's hyper-violence. It's supposed to be, I mean, this is the crescendo of the film, so I think that the more pandemonium, the more effective it is. So he ends up running, um, ends up in the alley. Alex tries to intervene, and she says that she loves him back, wait, which is... You know, but wait, hold on, hold on. You're also sk- oh. you're also skipping the part, right, where he cold-cocks the, de- the detective and fucking takes his head off. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Right? I mean, I feel like that's one of those things where it's like, he literally just like, just, I, I imagine like Super Saiyan, where he just like fucking just like goes up and just like clocks him in the face and just like decimates him. And it's funny because it looks like it's like a soccer ball that just like rolls yeah. on the ground. <laughs> I, I can hear Joe Bob Briggs. Heads roll. Head. <laughs> right. We got werewolf foo. Yeah. So then, you know, obviously uh, he, he, def- he definitely uh, kind of corners himself in in an alley and uh that's when alex she shows says up. that she loves him after he said that he loved her when he ran off before he calls his sister and tries to kill himself but can't do it but right blah, blah, blah. right right i completely forgot about that with the swiss army knife right <laughs> that was like that was, it was a little pathetic but uh yeah. i was also like bro that's super public like somebody would just see you and go hey you're bleeding let me call you an ambulance from this telephone that's less than a foot away from you in the same phone booth right right it's definitely one of those things that uh it was a little strange it was a little strange i feel like it almost seemed like it was a little bit of filler right especially when he was like talking to his sister on the phone absolutely it it seemed like it was like it was like drawing on a little bit but you know anyways Uh, so that's pretty much the entire film uh overall i think that we have a rating scale here at slashers classic trashic tragic uh classic obviously being good good trashic being good bad and tragic being bad bad this movie for me inarguably classic yeah this is one that i'm gonna have to absolutely agree with you i feel like it's one of those things that um you know a lot of times we won't agree on these things i feel like these past couple movies uh we have and uh, it's one of those things that uh, as we start delving into a lot more uh, different genres of horror, we'll probably definitely uh, go against each other a lot more. But I agree. I feel like this is one of those things that's, uh, it's it's definitely a classic. It's one of those uh, classic werewolf movies where, like I said, um, I feel like every other werewolf, especially uh, when it comes to transformation, uh, tries to live up to this movie. So I agree. Absolutely. Like this is the high watermark. And, you know, especially it ushered in an entire decade worth of serious contenders for you know great horror uh, werewolf movies, um, which leads us to the segment, a face-off. So one of the things that we had pulled our audience regarding you know any favorite werewolf transformations based on my theory that the money shot of any werewolf film is the transformation, specifically after this movie. Like in Wolfman, it's an integral part of the story, but it is not you know, the tantamount part of that movie. This movie is the transformation. And every werewolf movie since then, the transformation becomes so huge. Um, I compared it to the first full-body reveal of any alien, right? In Predator, when you see the Predator for the first time, oh, in Alien, when you see the Xenomorph for the full time, oh, in The Thing, when you see the subterranean one that's like a pyre of flesh and look i mean yes yeah, especially like i mean i was like i sent you that uh that instagram post earlier right where they're doing the defibrillator on the on the chest and the chest yeah. opens up and you're just like holy shit right it's the same thing yeah when you see what you're dealing with and it, it becomes tangible it, it's great 
It was very similar to you know the werewolf reveal. So we had pitched a bunch of different movies. Uh, it seems that everybody's favorites would fall between American Werewolf in London, The Howling, Teen Wolf, Wolf Cop, Ginger Snaps, Van Helsing, Company of Wolves, Wolfman, both the original and the 2010 remake, and Hemlock Grove. This is Amer- an American Werewolf in London is my favorite. I think that it's it's great. It has the tongue-in-cheek blue moon playing in the background, which is eerie. Um, it, you know, it, he's very sympathetic the entire time. He's howling in pain. Uh, it makes you feel something for him. Um, so if I had to pick a second, weirdly enough, I think it's the Company of Wolves when the Huntsman comes out. You and I were looking up the transformation on this one before, where you have a wolf's head coming out of the dude's mouth and the skin ripping open. I thought that was fun. Right. Brian, what about yourself? Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like it's it's definitely um, American Werewolf in London. Um, you know what? It, I feel like uh, Hemlock Grove is, um, is a second for me, just because it's so fresh in my mind. And it's one of those, uh, I believe it's on Netflix, and it's 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 similar to um com- what was that company of wolves where you say it comes out of the mouth it's like yeah. so grotesque it's something where it's not necessarily just somebody falling on the ground and then just simply growing a m- massive hair you know what i mean it's like ripping of the face um the mouth is um stretching out so far that actually you see like rips in the skin in the mouth and you know and it turns into a werewolf so uh yeah so i'd say it's definitely um those two are my favorite yeah and you're not talking about like lunar rogaine you know it's something physically happening in the change which i think is great uh two that i think are really fun and i, I kind of like the you know working with was van helsing and then wolf cop i mean they're there's almost the exact same thing with like the skin ripping off, but I kind of like, especially I have a very vivid re- recollection of Van Helsing where he like he's clawing at the skin with his wolf paw hands, and it's like he's detaching and he has this urge to like release his true self. Blah blah blah. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, if you have a contradictory thought, opinion, or you'd like to congratulate Brian and I for being exactly right, which we always are, <laughs> you can feel free to reach out to us at slasherspod at gmail. And you can also do uh, Twitter at slasherspod, Instagram at slasherspod. Uh, apparently, I'm now committed to making a MySpace at slasherspod. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Maybe, uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll, we'll get uh, iTunes as well, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that is the biggest pain in my ass. So if you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on uh, iTunes, thank God I finally resolved this issue. But I have had every issue imaginable. Our host site has categories that don't correspond with iTunes. They can't change them for some reason. And after I got that issue resolved, now our image is too big and the RSS feed won't update. So hopefully you are listening to this on iTunes. And this is an amusing anecdote about the suffering that I did to get this up to you. Uh, as we round the show off and end it, we are going to end with a segment, the Stably Cup. Not Stanley, Stably. <laughs> because we're horror. Do I have to explain? You're good. We're good. You're we're smart good. people. I have faith. Okay, so this segment is a direct comparison. The logic being, whether it's a tournament structure or not, the best, the cream rises to the top, right? So week to week we will go... The champion of the week before goes up against the cha- you know, the current contender, which is the movie we watch, and we see. In this case, if you followed our career all the way, we have Event Horizon from the pilot episode, Pet Cemetery from the first episode, and An American Werewolf in London for the actual second episode. Um, Brian, who wins the Stably Cup, in your opinion? Okay, Stably Cup, 
you know, I feel like is a very easy, it's, it's actually in pecking order. It's exactly how we have, uh, set up the movies so far. I believe, I believe it's, uh, the original contender event horizon. Then it goes to pet cemetery, pet cemetery wins out. Um, unfortunately, sorry, um, skinny, uh, Morpheus. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes to pet cemetery against, um, American werewolf in London. And I feel like um, special effects from American Werewolf in London take over um, little little baby uh, Gage fucking demon child. So uh, yeah, dude. The- if you put Rick Baker on uh, Pet Cemetery and you flesh out that end scene, you got me a hundred percent. Yeah, just like you said. Agreed. Agreed. You got, you got story here. You got the effects here. You have you know a spot in history. Like this is film history. This is the first ever winner of the Academy and, Award and then, for and, best. Uh, and then not only, not only that, but I mean, this is definitely one of those things where I feel like uh, comedic relief wasn't uh, overly used. It was done like very um, perfectly. Perfectly, exactly. It's one of those things where it wasn't heavily done. It was just done at the right times. Yeah, this is coming from a dude who has Marvel tattoos. Like, I hate that in every Marvel movie, it always has the yuck-yuck. Every Marvel trailer ends with a yuck-yuck joke. Like, you can let things be dramatic or tense and let the natural, you know, environment and, and scenario build. In this movie, humor is used very organically by the people using it. You don't have, you know, like the dude from the tube who's obviously very stuck up, who's very severe, who's saying, you have left my children bastards. He doesn't make a yuck-yuck joke because that's not in his character. The doctor doesn't make a yuck-yuck joke. Sure, he plays a little bit of Palumbo and plays dumb when he's uh, going through Columbo, not Palumbo. Palumbo was a <laughs> pro wrestler uh, going back. Uh, he, you know, So that character is not funny. So it is always within the character to be funny or not. So... I think it's perfect. I mean, I don't think it's a perfect movie. There's clearly some editing that can be done. I think that there's a little bit of filler. Like you said, the scene in the phone booth doesn't really work that well for me. Um, just some of the things can clean up. I really think that if I were doing the movie over again, it wouldn't be night after night. It wouldn't be he turns into a werewolf, the next night he turns into a werewolf. I would make it that it's a full lunar cycle. And he, you really, you know... You expedite him becoming a werewolf in the movie because in the movie he doesn't become a werewolf until almost an hour in. Right. You push that up to about like the forty-five minute mark, the forty-minute mark, and then you have him living with her, reveal like unraveling this and going, "Oh no, I am a monster." Blah right. blah. Because then it also gives the excuse to be in love besides just having a sick wolf dick. You know. Well, then it all it also kind of uh, would go into the different phases of him being a werewolf, if, as far as being the strongest part of being a werewolf, obviously with a full moon and then what happens when you're in the mid you know somewhere in the middle of the cycle are you like extremely weak like what's what's the deal you know what i mean so i feel like absolutely you know that would be really interesting as well so uh, yeah any notes on how you would improve what is largely a great movie um no i mean you know what i feel like it, it it's perfect just the way it is i feel like um i see it's funny i say that but i feel like that the one part of the movie that really just kind of shook my head and kind of scratched my head over was when uh, it showed like a, a quick flash. I believe it was like of a dream of him 
with a weird face. It was like a weird alien face with weird like fangs and shit. With the fangs and the yellow. Yeah, right. apparently those yellow contacts were made of glass and they actually really hurt him. Oh shit. I, but I um, read that fun trivia. It's it's it, that part right there just kind of seems strange, right? I mean, for me anyways, it just seemed like uh it, it didn't relate to any kind of him being a werewolf. I didn't see his face and be like, "Oh, yep, that's a werewolf." You know what I mean? But, I think the, the one saving grace in that is that it's so cartoony that it makes the transformation later seem way more severe because it seems so grounded by comparison. But yeah, I agree. You know, and it, you can look at it and give those things excuses like budget, time, other restrictions. But um, like you said, largely is a great movie. And what's great is like in a weird way, it's kind of perfect in its own regard because it's a time capsule movie. Like you're looking at a piece of history in that space. That's what they had the time and resources to create. You compare that to this stuff now, and not to sound like old hoagies, but I mean, it's better substantively than a lot of stuff they're putting out nowadays. So, right, absolutely. It's certainly better than the Teen Wolf MTV series, I can imagine. Wait, they have one of them? For, yeah, do, every time I looked up Teen Wolf uh, to do research on the werewolf transformations, it was that show. Good. I was like, okay, Teen Wolf 1985, yeah, thank is, you. Is that, isn't it the same network that has like a fucking Teen Mom and shit? Yeah, makes sense. Oh, yeah, and no music. Yeah, absolutely. Where has the shit gone? In the words of Hinato Laranja, but I digest. (laughs) All right, well, um, do we have anything we want to leave off with? I think I've finally come up with a little catchphrase I want to use. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) All right, right, Brian. Well, I will say goodbye to our friends and fans and family. Brian, take it away. Wow me. No pressure. If you ain't watching them dying, you ain't really trying. Boom. Sorry to slash and dash, but we're out. All right, good night, guys. Bomba da bomba, dinga ding, dingy bing, bing, dingy bomba, diba da di bomb, boom, boom, moon, 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 dip, 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 Dip 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 bomb the dumb ring a dang diggy diggy big as a boogie sit up jump the boogie bomb a dumb a dumb day bed blue moon you saw me standing alone without a dream in my heart without a love of my own